Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, over the last couple of episodes of our podcast, we've been exploring how we can face the darkness in our world and in our lives by taking a closer look at how the people of Israel faced the darkness of their world and how they overcame it while they were living as slaves in Egypt. Well, in this episode's sermon, we're going to be talking about the person that God used to bring the Israelites out of their time of darkness. And we're going to be confronting a myth that a lot of us believe about what it takes and who it takes to overcome the darkness in our world. So let's get right into this week's sermon. So in his book entitled How We Got to Now, Stephen Johnson explores the developments of key innovations over the centuries that have helped shape modern life today. And I want to share with you this morning his opening paragraph about the chapter that he writes on light. This is what he says. He writes, Imagine some alien civilization viewing Earth from across the galaxies, looking for signs of intelligent life here. Now, for millions of years, there would be almost nothing to report. There would be the daily flux of weather moving across the planet, the creep of, gra- of glaciers spreading and retreating every 100,000 years or so, and there'd be the incremental drift of the continents. But starting about a century ago, a momentous change would suddenly be visible from space. At night, the planet's surface would glow. It would glow with streetlights from the cities, first in the United States of America and then in Europe, and then it would spread steadily across the entire globe, growing in intensity. Now, viewing this from space, the emergence of artificial lighting would arguably have been the single most significant change in the entire history of our planet, or at least since the Chicxulub asteroid collided with the Earth, the Earth 65 million years ago, from space. All of the other transformations that have marked the rise of human civilization would be little more than an afterthought. Things like opposable thumbs and written language and the printing press, all of these things would pale in comparison besides the brilliance of the invention of artificial light. And all of that transformation, a planet going from complete darkness at night to a planet that can be lit up with the flip of a switch, was all brought about by the light bulb. But where did the light bulb come from? Well, that's a story that most of us are at least a little bit familiar with, right? Most of us are at least a little familiar with the story. We know that the famed inventor Thomas Edison is the one who invented the light bulb. But we also know that there's a little bit more to the story than just that, right? Now, what you may or may not know uh, about the invention of light bulb is that Thomas Edison was already a pretty successful inventor long before he ever began his work on the light bulb. Earlier on in his career, he had invented things like the phonograph and the stock ticker that had already made him a household name and a prominent figure in American culture. But after his early success, Edison decided that he was going to take a little bit of time off from inventing because he wanted to tour the American West really because he was trying to sell his other products out there. But he wanted to go out to the American West, and what he found, the farther out west that he got, was that the rest of the country was a whole lot different from what he was used to while he was living in New Jersey, working out of his lab. Because at that time, in the late 1870s, New Jersey was already illuminated by gas gas lights during the night. But that wasn't the case when you went out to the American West. 
So as the story goes, two days after Thomas Edison returned from his trip out west, he came back and he, he came back home and he was prepared to do something about all of the darkness that he saw across this country. So on that August day in 1878, Thomas Edison drew up three diagrams inside of his notebooks that he entitled Electric Light. And then just one year later, he had already filed the patent applications for this electric lamp that he had drawn up, an invention that displays all of the main characteristics of the light bulb that we know today. So that's the story of how we got the light bulb. But what does Edison's invention have to do with us sitting in this room today? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started into a series of sermons that are based on the book of Exodus. And I told you then that Exodus is about Israel's journey out of the darkness. The book of Exodus is about Israel's journey out of darkness. So I thought that this morning, as we talk about the people of Israel and their journey out of the darkness, that it was only appropriate to spend a little bit of time talking about the man who helped the entire world out of our literal darkness at night. A darkness that we've known since the beginning of time. And I thought that it was only appropriate for us to talk about Thomas Edison and his invention this morning, because guys like Edison, people like Thomas Edison, They have helped shape the way that we think about getting out of whatever darkness we may face in our lives and in our world. Now let me explain to you a little bit better exactly what I mean. Now we all know that in spite of Edison's invention, that we still live in a world that is filled with plenty of darkness. And this darkness ranges from mass shootings, like unfortunately occurred again just yesterday in Texas, to terrorism, to sex trafficking, to systemic racism, to childhood poverty, to the opioid epidemic, and so much more. And when we think about all of the darkness that we see and experience in this world today, it feels like our world is filled with problems that are too big to solve. Sometimes it feels like our world is filled with problems that are just too big for us to solve. And when it feels like our world is filled with these problems that are too big for us to solve, Well, what do we do? What do we do? Well, this is where people like Thomas Edison come in. When it feels like the world's problems are just too big to be solved, we want to find someone like Thomas Edison to come and solve those problems for us. Now, Thomas Edison was an absolute genius who was willing to roll up his sleeves and he was willing to work and he was willing to stick at whatever project he was working on until he solved whatever problem it was that he was facing. So we think that that's what it takes to overcome any type of darkness, any type of problem that we experience in our world today. We think that it takes the smartest people that we've got working as hard as they possibly can, refusing to give up until they finally make it to that breakthrough moment. Or to put it another way for you, We think that it takes an extraordinary person to solve an extraordinary problem. We think it takes an extraordinary person to solve an extraordinary problem. So, when it came to the extraordinary problem of the literal darkness that creeps over this planet every night, it took an extraordinary person like Thomas Edison to come onto the scenes and solve it. And this thinking goes way beyond just scientific invention and discovery, too. We think the same thing about politics and leadership in our world today. We think that it took an extraordinary person like 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt to solve the extraordinary problems that we faced in the Great Depression and in World War II. We think that it took an extraordinary person like Abraham Lincoln to solve the extraordinary problems that we were facing during the Civil War. We think that it took an extraordinary person like George Washington to solve the extraordinary problems that we were facing as our new nation was being born. And we can keep on going down the line and talk about more and more of these extraordinary people that had to arrive to deal with the extraordinary problems that we face in this world. And if we kept going down this list, we'd eventually make it to the person that we're going to talk about this morning. The person that we're going to read about in our scripture reading for today. And that person is Moses. And if there was ever an extraordinary person who was facing an extraordinary problem, it was Moses. Why, the first time that we meet Moses inside of Scripture, his people, the people of Israel, they're facing an extraordinary darkness. They are enslaved in the land of Egypt, and they have been enslaved there for 400 years. And that's not all. Not only have they been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has just ordered before Moses is born that, the, that all baby boys born to the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, that they are to be executed. But somehow, through extraordinary circumstances, Moses survives. Moses survives this royal decree that called for his execution. And here's where it gets really extraordinary. Not only does Moses survive the Pharaoh's attempts to have all of the baby boys born to the Israelites killed, Moses survives by being taken into the safety of the Pharaoh's very own home by none other than the Pharaoh's very own daughter. So right out of the gate, it seems like Moses is destined for some type of extraordinary greatness. And since Moses grows up inside of the Pharaoh's household, we make the assumption that he must have been raised like a prince, that he learned about everything that it took to lead a nation and how to deal with powerful people, all skills that Moses would need later on to help free the Israelites. So Moses... Moses was that extraordinary person that the people of Israel needed to solve their extraordinary problem of slavery. Just like Thomas Edison was the extraordinary person that we needed to solve our problem, our extraordinary problem of darkness. But what if I told you that we were wrong? What if I told you that we were wrong about both Moses and Thomas Edison? Let me start by telling you how we really got the light bulb. Eighty years before Thomas Edison even began his work on the light bulb, inventors were already tinkering with electric light. And by 1802, more than 75 years before Edison starts his work on the light bulb, scientists and inventors had already uncovered the basic elements that we would someday use to light up the night skies. 75 years before Edison began working on his light bulb, we already knew that light bulbs needed certain things. We knew that light bulbs needed some sort of filament inside of them that would glow when an electric current was passed through them. We knew that there had to be some mechanism to keep this filament from burning out too quickly. 
And we knew that there had to be a way of supplying the electricity that starts that whole reaction. We knew this decades before Edison even sat down to start working on his invention. By 1838, or we're still 40 years before Thomas Edison draws his diagram uh, inside of his notebook, there was an, a Belgian inventor by the name of Marcelin Jabard who was trying the exact same formula that Thomas Edison would use 40 years later to create his own incandescent bulb. And that formula was to take a carbon filament and put it inside of a vacuum like we see in the Edison bulbs that we still have around today. And over the course of the next 40 years, from the time of Marshall and Jabard until the time that Thomas Edison sits down and starts his work on the light bulb, there are dozens of other inventors, at least two dozen of them, in fact, who contributed something that aided Thomas Edison in his work. And that's just the backstory of how we came to the light bulb. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about how, uh, what Edison actually had to do. Once, once Edison had his moment of inspiration, he had to rely on an entire team of people surrounding him, people that were memorably known as the muckers, to help him figure out how to make a light bulb work. One of those muckers was a British mechanic by the name of Charles Batchelor. And Charles Batchelor was the one who was able to improvise a way for the entire group to test a whole lot of potential material that would be used for the filament inside of the light bulb. And let me tell you something, Thomas Edison and his team, they went through a veritable botanical garden filled with potential materials to use for the filament inside of a light bulb. And remember, remember, Thomas Edison is doing all of this work in New Jersey. So a lot of these materials weren't available for him. Now eventually, through the testing out of the, the system that Batchelor rigged up for them, they realized that carbonized bamboo was what they were going to use for these filaments. And it's not like there's a whole lot of bamboo that's growing in the state of New Jersey, okay? So Thomas Edison had to send out other people to go out from his own backyard to be able to find the material that, the, that he would need to manufacture his light bulbs. He sent his emissaries out all across the globe to find the best bamboo they possibly could. And that was no easy feat in the 1870s either, okay? One of his representatives that he sent out to find uh, bamboo that he could use ended up contracting yellow fever while he was in Cuba, and he later died from it. Another emissary that he sa sent out paddled down 2,000 miles of river in Brazil. Another one was sent to China and Japan to strike a deal with a local farmer whose bamboo ultimately helped bring us light in America, and across the world. So you see, the story that we tell about Thomas Edison and his absolute genius uh, being able to invent the light bulb, it's not exactly accurate. Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb because Thomas Edison was an extraordinary genius. Thomas Edison was able to invent the light bulb because he was willing to do the work to get there. He was willing to take the information that other scientists and inventors had learned over the course of a century. He was willing to refine and test the things that he had learned, that others had learned until Edison reached that ultimate breakthrough moment. He was willing to bring in some of the, the best and most brilliant minds in the entire world to help him keep working on this problem until they solved it. He was willing to do what he needed to do to bring an end to the darkness. But it happened because he was willing, not because he was extraordinary. 
That same thing is also true for Moses. Now, oftentimes when we think about Moses, we have this idea in our minds that Moses is some type of extraordinary leader. And I'll tell you where we get it from. You guys remember the movie The Ten Commandments? That's where most of our knowledge of Moses comes from. It's not from the actual Bible. It's from Charlton Heston's portrayal of Moses in a movie. Okay, And when we see him standing up with the Ten Commandments in his hands, he is just beaming leadership to us. So we think that that's who Moses is. And and we think that that's why he was able to deliver the people of Israel out of their slavery. But when you go back and you read the real story, where God calls Moses to be the one to go and free the Israelites, you'll see that a lot of the pictures that we have in our minds about who Moses is, well, they're just not accurate either. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible with me, whether you've got a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to show you what I mean about who Moses really is. All right, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it did not burn up. Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing sight and find out why this bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you were standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain." I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and to bring them to a good and a broad land, a land that is full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. All right, so in these 10 verses that we've just read here, we've heard God's call to Moses. We've heard God call and tell Moses to go back to the land of Egypt to free the people of Israel from their slavery. But I want you to listen to how Moses responds in the very next verse, okay? Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, I mean, that that first word right there, but is already a pretty good indication of what's about to happen. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Even as Moses is saying this, you can almost hear what he's actually telling God. God, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just a regular guy. All I, you know what I am? I'm a shepherd. I'm out here with the sheep of the flocks of my father-in-law. 
I'm an ordinary person, but you're telling me to go and do something extraordinary. That's not how this works, God. You're supposed to send an extraordinary person to solve an extraordinary problem. You're not supposed to send me. Moses knows that he's not extraordinary at all. As a matter of fact, if you continue reading through this passage, the rest of Moses' calling, you're going to see this idea play out multiple times along the way. First, Moses doubts that anyone will actually believe that God has sent him. That's, what, that's the first objection that he brings up before God. He says, God, nobody's going to believe that, I, that you sent me, so what can I do to show them? What can I do? That's where he learns the name of God. But Moses says, nobody's going to believe it because they're going to look at me and they're going to say, hey, that's just Moses, ordinary guy. And then in my favorite part of the story, Moses is going to make one last attempt to tell God that God has got the wrong guy. So flip over with me to Exodus chapter 4. The story plays out for a while. Verse 10, and we'll see how Moses' last-ditch effort to try to convince God he's got the wrong person. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 10, is what it says. But Moses said to the Lord, there's that but word again, still arguing with God. But Moses said to the Lord, my Lord, I've never been able to speak well. Not yesterday, not the day before, and certainly not now since you've been talking to your servant. I have a slow mouth and I have a thick tongue. Think about what Moses just said, because God's response is spot on. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gives people the ability to speak? Seriously, you just complain to me that you can't talk? Who gives you the ability to speak, Moses? Who's responsible for making people unable to speak or hard of hearing, sighted or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what you should say. But, Moses said... Please, my Lord, just send somebody else. Then the Lord got angry at Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know him, and I know that he can speak very well. He's on his way out to meet you right now, as a matter of fact, and he's been looking forward to seeing you. Speak to him and tell him what he's supposed to say. I'll help both of you speak, and I'll teach both of you what to do. Aaron will speak for you to my people. He'll be a spokesperson for you, and you will be like God before him. Take a shepherd's rod with you, too so that you can do the signs that I've given you. So in this passage, Moses has made one last attempt to convince God that Moses is just too ordinary to lead the people of Israel out of their slavery. But in this passage, God clearly doesn't bite on the excuses that Moses is trying to make. God doesn't look down at Moses and say, okay, you know what, Moses, I was wrong. I was wrong, and you're absolutely right. You are just too ordinary for this. So I'm going to go and talk to your, your brother Aaron. Because Aaron, oh, he's an extraordinary guy, I'll tell you that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to find with him where he's at, and I'm just going to pop up in a burning bush and call him instead of you. That's not what happens. That's not what God says. Instead, what God tells Moses is, I'll help you. I'll teach you what you're supposed to say and show you what you're supposed to do. And why? Why is that God's response to Moses? Why doesn't God give up on Moses when Moses says, I'm just too ordinary for this? Well, it's because God didn't need Moses to be extraordinary to lead the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. What God needed Moses to do was God needed Moses to be willing to follow 
God. Same thing's true for us. We don't have to be extraordinary to solve the problems of the world. We just have to be willing to follow God. We don't have to be extraordinary to solve the problems of the world. We just have to be willing to follow God. Because here's the thing about our God. And we're going to talk more about this as we get further into the series of sermons. But God... God is already at work in this world. God is already trying to solve those problems, working to solve those problems that leave us paralyzed and overwhelmed and feeling like there is nothing that we can do about them. God is already at work bringing us out of the darkness that we live in the same way that he was working to bring the Israelites out of the darkness of their slavery. God already knows what needs to be done God just wants us to follow Him and do it. And we have to stop believing that it takes an extraordinary person to solve these extraordinary problems. We have to stop thinking that none of us are extraordinary enough to do what God is asking us to do to confront the darkness in our lives and in our world. Because when you follow God, God's more than extraordinary enough. God's more than extraordinary enough. God can do extraordinary things through you. But you know what? That can't happen if you aren't willing to follow. God can't do extraordinary things through you if you're not willing to follow God. So, if you are sick and tired of all of the darkness that surrounds us in this world, if you are sick and tired of all of the problems that we face in our country, in our culture, and across this globe, here's one thing that you can do. I want you to pray this prayer. It's the same prayer that we're going to find in the song that we're going to sing in just a minute to end up our worship service this morning. I want you to pray this prayer. Master, thou callest, and this I reply. Ready and willing, Lord, here am I. But don't pray it if you don't mean it. Because a lot of us like to sit back and pretend like we're willing to do whatever we need to do to face the problems that we need to face. But we're not. We're not. We're not willing to look beyond our own noses and go out there and solve the problems of the world that surround us. We still want to put it on another extraordinary person to step in and solve all of the ills, all of the wrongs in this world. But if you really want to make a difference, if you actually are willing, pray that prayer. Master, thou callest, and this I reply, ready and willing, Lord, here am I. Because God's calling you to do something. God is calling you to do something about all of this darkness that we see in this world today. So it's time for you to tell God that you're willing to follow Him and do whatever He wants you to do.
Let's pray together. God, as always, we are grateful for the chance that we have to come into this place and to worship you. This morning, God, we are thankful for the words that we have heard. So many times in this world, we think that it takes extraordinary people to solve the extraordinary problems that we face. But God, you are the one who makes the extraordinary happen. What you need from us is willingness. So God, my prayer for all of us in this room this morning is that we are willing to do what you want each of us to do to face the darkness in the world that we live in. And all of us will be called and asked to do different things, God, because none of us can solve all of the problems that we face. But God, you have a plan for each of us, a calling for each of us, a place that you want each of us to go, an action that you want us to take, something that you want us to do. So open our hearts, God. Open our hearts, create that willing attitude inside of us. And let us go and be your people, doing your work in this world with a willingness and a readiness that can only come from you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that you took this episode's sermon to heart. God is at work in this world, and God wants us to be a part of what he is doing, but we have to be willing. So if you're willing, keep praying that prayer that I mentioned at the end of this episode's sermon. Keep telling God, ready and willing, Lord, here am I. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue to talk about what we can do to face the darkness in our world. And specifically, we're going to be thinking about how God and how Pharaoh approached the darkness that the people of Israel were facing during their time in slavery in Egypt. Now, that episode will drop next Tuesday. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to remind you that we're not supposed to only be hearers of the word. We're also supposed to be doers of it. So keep praying that prayer. Keep praying that prayer. And when God shows you how you can confront the darkness that's in this world and in your life, do something about it. We hope that you guys have a great week, and we will see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.